Hello, hello from your favorite Pluto conjunct ascendant cosmic wits here with more hard truth and transformation and exploring the shadow. This episode, I wrap up the first half of season three by discussing more messages in manifestation spaces that are wrong or damaging or just dismissive of the lived experience of many people. This is your warning that I will be talking about conceptions of the divine and religious trauma and share some of my experience with traditional Catholicism that I usually only look to superficially. If this is a triggering topic, pause after the forecast for the week, or now if you don't care about that, and I'll see you in mid-July after my first holiday of the summer. There would be useful links for people deconstructing and healing from their religious trauma in the show notes. And I will also mention some stuff about my emotional abuse vets, although I'm not going into details, but that still could be triggering. So this is your trigger warning for that too. Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. I'm Alexis, your new witchy BFF. I'm known as Asteria in witch circles. I'm a photographer by day and start obsessed urban witch by night. Sometimes the opposite, often both at once. And I'm as star obsessed as Natsuki's Shinomiya in Utapri. Or just a warning, there would be loads of otaku references. I'm a Capricorn Sun, Scorpio Moon and Scorpio Rising. Probably a Lyran Star Seed, a Tarot Lover, and all of my lipsticks have a spell on them. I started this podcast to share my passion and the empowerment and self-love that cosmic witchcraft brought into my life. Come every Thursday for captivating conversations about life, business and magic that blend the practical with the world and bring you all-out history geek solo episodes and amazing guests to explore the ways in which we can bring more enchantment into our lives. Ready to live life limitless? Then let's dive into today's episode. This coming week, which is the 29th of June to July the 5th, is not going to give us a break from cosmic happenings. We kick it off today at 3.42am CET with the sun shining Saturn retrograde which is a good time to look at our long-term goals and plans. Are they aligned with the people we want to be? What needs to adjust course? Is our self-concept a match for what we want? If not, then it's time to start taking action on creating that alignment as later today at 10.34am CET, Venus will be in a trine with Chiron. She's preparing to go retrograde in Leo, which is a sun's rule sign. So the idea of our sense of self is quite strong with this transit, even when she's not transiting or aspecting your first house. And this transit involves slow-moving planets, so no rush to take time out of your day-to-day. You have some space to fit it in your calendar if you want to sit with these themes and do some healing work. Tomorrow, June the 30th, we have Mercury trining Saturn early in the morning at 8.23, which brings boundaries and seriousness to our trickster, trickster, I can't even speak, trickster communication planet. And Neptune station in retrograde at 27 degrees of Pisces. 
If you go to my blog on my website, alexisneve.com slash blog, you can find a post about Neptune and Saturn in retrograde. I'll drop the link in the show notes. I've become quite intrigued by degree theory, and 27 is a Gemini degree, and I think it speaks beautifully of the duality in this retrograde. It illuminates the deceptions we hold in our lives, but deception isn't always that we think too highly and expect too much of what life can give, which is what my family thinks of me. It can also be keeping you smaller than you really are. Imposter syndrome is an illusion too. Mercury remains the biggest player of the week, with a conjunction with the Sun and later a sextile with Jupiter on the 1st, at 7.05 and 9.10 a.m. respectively. The conjunction is a good time for the kind of mid-cycle energy that women and people who menstruate in the audience will be familiar with. You can run on four hours sleep and have more radius than time to write them down in your notes. And it's a good one for short-term troubles. So if you're not out in London for Pride, head somewhere nice for me. The Mary of Setstein Jupiter is also apparently a good time for future planning, if you want to circle back on the themes of the first half of the week, since we also have the full moon in Capricorn on the 3rd, after Venus squared Uranus on the 2nd. This is an interesting aspect for me because it's almost an inner tension between the emotional comfort of Venusian themes and Uranus, energy of revolution and changing the status quo. And I think that is resonant with a full moon in Capricorn. The theme of this lunation is how we balance heart and head. Capricorns don't just jump head first into something that they have no real plan for. Taking the obvious example of climbing a mountain that I've used before, Capricorn knows the starting point, destination, and is prepared for all possible conditions on the journey. And that's why Capricorn can afford to take detours and pivot on the journey. And to an extent being flowy and feminine energy, because shall I remind you, it is actually a feminine earth science. And then that's why we take the first step without knowing for sure the full trajectory. It could be the fastest route, or it could be that we are on the longest route. We are not attached to the specifics of the journey because we are prepared for everything. Quite literally, our archetype is a goat. And have you ever seen a goat climbing up a mountain? If you want to understand Capricorn energy, Google Ibex climbing a dam or click the link in the show notes because it's freaking incredible. It's steadfast determination in the face of literal danger. Nothing is going to stop that animal but death. So where in your life do you need to have this energy of come what may, I don't care, I'm getting there no matter what. That's the invitation from the cosmos and me this week, which brings me to my tarot for the collective. By the way, I'm going to do a pride giveaway, and if you email me a screenshot of your Apple review or Spotify star rating at starryskypodcast.gmail.com and any open-ended questions you might have for the reading, I will send you back your card and interpretation. And if you are listening to this episode and it's after pride, don't worry, I will honor the giveaway. Let's say that I have put the energy out into the universe to give out a reading to you and you will get it when you will get it. Our collective card this week is Temperance. The version in my deck is quite beautiful. It's a feminine figure depicted as part as an angel from standard art iconography, but as what one may imagine a pagan girl dressed for May Day you would look like and part an acrobat. 
The temperance part of the card is focused in balancing a flow of water between two jugs that she's holding while keeping her eyes closed. In trust that nothing in the conditions around her will upset that balance. What strikes me the most about this depiction, though, is the blue ribbons that hold her up as if she's sitting on a cosmic swing, as they are the ribbons holding the jug too. It's almost as if she's only lightly touching the jugs. It really is a sense of trust that things are as they are naturally meant to be, or divinely meant to be, and that's pretty much the topic of today's episode. As you guessed from the title, I'm talking about the law of assumption. It's one of the many concepts labelled law by spiritual thesis and traces back to Neville Goddard. Goddard was a new thought author and mystic who wrote on the Bible and esotericism. Unlike the law of attraction, which requires us to live on the energetic frequency of what we're seeking to attract, the law of assumption states that by believing the things you want already exist in your life, you'll manifest it into existence. Of course, the day the Japanese tabloids ran the news of a certain celebrity known to my friends as my wife getting a divorce, I'd be like, I manifested that. But I do have some issues with the law of assumption and, well, the assumptions that it requires bordering on delusional, even for a Capricorn stellium like me. Or I guess you could say that I take issue with the language of believing it's already there. I agree with pretty much everyone in the space that we need to live from an energy of seeing ourselves as if we already have what we want. But it was quite timely today that Jack Shaw, who was half of them, released a podcast episode about how desire, want and need all exist in both high and low frequency. And if you want something, it doesn't always mean you are coming at it from a place of lack. The whole point of seeing life and ourselves as if we already have what we want is about our self-conception as the people who, for whom that is normal and the self-worth in which we are worthy of that being our normal. So it's an energetic thing. But I'll take a step back for a second. This episode was originally inspired by someone who did not use the language of the law of assumption. And I hear similar examples a lot, but I'll use this specific one as it was the most recent. I don't mean to single her out for criticism or anything, but even without calling it the law of assumption, it was the same principle. And the example was, manifestation is like putting an order through at the restaurant. You ask for what you want, and you just wait in the confidence that the dish will be served to you. And manifestation teachers never really talk much about the need to trust that it come when you've had the kitchen come out saying your food was out of stock after all, and your car payment was declined. It's the old case that Hume talked about in the 18th century that we assumed the sun would rise tomorrow out of habit. But we don't really know that it will. And in fact, we know from science that we have now that if humanity will still have an Earth in three billion years, they will not have a sun. So the accepted philosophical basis holding distrust in what you want being on the way is a deistic one. But at the very least, you need to accept a certain view of reality that is ordered towards the good even if you got out of data from the equation. I don't know how much of my being uncomfortable with this absolute certainty that people have about the universe having your back has to do with being raised religious and losing the faith. Because I kind of used to struggle with it a fair bit when Catholic too. 
always had this idea that everyone else was better than me. So if they asked God for something, they'd get it just fine. But when I asked for anything, I only got struggle. Starting at 38. Anyway, I have seen miracles happen. So I can't fully dismiss the idea that something is going on. I may not be able to explain it. And I never would think to question what religion is right about the nature of the divine. If indeed there is a divine nature. But that's about it. Either way, manifestation hinges on our ability to surrender the outcomes and simultaneously communicate with the certainty of Kazama claiming Chizuru as his wife in Akuaki. Like it's a no-brainer that you will have what you're asking for, but also it doesn't really matter if you don't get it because you're not going at it from an energy of luck where you need the thing to validate your sense of self-worth. You're happy with yourself as it is. It's the ultimate Orizama energy. Like your desire should feel lucky that you even thought of that remotely for one second, let alone enough to patiently wait to manifest them for three years. And that balance is hard AS. Obviously, I'm a manifestor in human design. She's basically an Orizama, even without looking at how I have almost every sense of defined, and most of my gates are on the individual circuit. It's a wonder that I ever even attempted to have enough humility for organized religion, really. I guess it comes from how all my life I had many times when I'd be wishing I could just be like everyone else, so I'd get less grief over how I live my life, because my way doesn't feel safe to the people around me, and they project it onto me so much. Like it forces them to look at how they could have done something to stop being miserable, but didn't, so they don't like that I hold that mirror up to them, and then project on me being wrong when I'm just here doing my things and I don't actually care that they don't do anything to fix their situation. Anyway, I digress. Despite the claims of the devotees of the law of assumption being ten times more powerful than the law of attraction, I think both are missing the mark. Manifestation is a matter of energetics, and energetics is partly a matter of how self-concept. And when you're battling religious trauma like many of us, your self-concept around your ability to bring things into life is not the strongest, because organized religion thrives on disempowerment. A caveat here. This is my experience of how my religious was presented to me in the understanding of the people who taught me over the years, and not necessarily the only experience of Catholicism or Christianity ever. Going back to our restaurant example, I was raised with two coexisting, although opposing, ideas about desiring things. God will give you what you ask for, as per a number of Bible verses, but it's selfish to ask for what you want, so you have to want what God wants for you. Effectively, you will ask and get what you want when you want what it is that God wants for you for the purpose of advancing the kingdom. Everything else is selfishness and something you have to fight in order to go to heaven. God is supposed to be the center of your life and enough to satisfy your every need. The things you are praying for are not real needs because your real needs are spiritual and boil down to going to heaven to be with God for eternity. Material suffering like poverty or abuse or illness are an opportunity to purify your soul and the souls in purgatory by offering up your struggle. Wishing them away is wrong and rich people don't go to heaven. So the self-concept I had up until my Probable quantum leap, and even then, I still have a lot of work to do with all of these themes. Is that I go to the restaurant, order a meal I don't really like, but it's the day specials, 
and sit there hoping they haven't run out of the ingredients to make it because God is in control of the outcome. And if he wanted me not to eat that night, it doesn't matter that I put in the order, no food is going to be there for me. I mentioned human design earlier, even if I don't really talk about it much, because I find it ironic how my motivation is hope. My charge of three is antithesis. Hope motivation is the ability to hold the belief that everything you need will be provided. And my strength is in surrender. More than any other motivations in human design, I'm the type who is meant to go about her day seeking pleasures and forgetting about the outcomes of the actions I take instead of watching the pot boil and micromanaging the situation. And the fun fact there is the trajectory is that I'm not surrendering to a divine being but to my own powers which I am documenting for the whole of the internet to see with this podcast and which music on Substack and my spamming the tarot channel in the SAS Discord. Speaking of which, I hope that they don't mind me sharing this, but one of the fellow daily tarot aficionados gave me food for thought with a view of the musician lately. Basically, the view boils down to the idea of the musician as hope and having multiple options open to you. And it's her, like, you have to work it in conjunction with the full energy before him and the high priestess after him to know the direction to take. Because the magician balances all of the elements of the tarot. So by itself, the card doesn't tell us what action to take, just that we can take multiple of them. And I think this really resonates with hope motivation, which is basically about having an inner knowing that things are going to work out for me, even if I have no ground to explain how or why. And in the case of my trajectory, not even appeal to God will provide as the explanation for trusting. The downside of this is that even if we accept the system of human design as a language to talk about our experience of who we are, not everyone has this motivation. But manifestation advice acts as if we do. And even those of us who have it often exist in the transference, which is the technical word to mean the opposite energy. And I'm going to have an episode in the second half of the season where I come back from my break and I look into manifestations through the human design lens. So I'm only mentioning these in the context of trust issues at the heart of the law of assumption. And the law of assumption isn't even the only belief in manifestation spaces that has the same pitfalls. According to Kenneth Wong, writing on the Millennium Grind, there's 12 of them. There's the law of divine oneness, the law of vibration, the law of correspondence, the law of attraction, the law of inspired action, the law of perpetual transmutation of energy, the law of cause and effect, the law of compensation, the law of relativity, the law of polarity, the law of rhythm, and the law of gender. The first one is an obvious one, as it states that we are one with the divine, and that requires a belief in the divine. The law of vibration is the common idea that everything is energy and therefore vibrates as a certain frequency. I have a slightly different view of energetics that isn't as work, but I can get on board with that one. The third one, your external reality, is a direct reflection of your internal state, which is like basic magic. That's one I believe is true wholeheartedly and doesn't require the trust in a god. If you ever have a bad mood and everything that day goes wrong and you get overwhelmed by things that don't normally bother you, you know I'm right, even if you were not to believe in the most basic laws of magic in the same way that I do. Attraction is like attracts like, which is kind of similar to the previous two, 
and I have addressed how it's problematic in episode two. If you are new and haven't listened to the rest of the series, by the way, welcome. And the law of inspired action is one that I also believe is true, except there are different ways to look at the inspired part. And most of them require, at the very least, trust in your intuition. It's not an easy thing for most people. And it's especially hard when you have spent years walking on the tightrope between believing you can receive direct divine guidance, but also you can be fooled by demons who want to ruin your soul, so you can only trust other people who have the stamp of approval. So you are either sure that you are a saint, which makes you not a saint, or you need the bishop to sign off on your message as being genuine divine inspiration based on a rigorous process of examination for private revelations. At least if it's something major. But why would you trust something minor when you fundamentally believe that you are unworthy such communications? And it's most likely that you will be deceived by evil forces. That basically means I have a double lack of trust. I don't trust that the inspiration comes from a divine source because I don't really believe in a divine source. And I don't trust that the inspiration isn't just what I want to hear rather than the harsh truths of reality that I don't want to face that my family thinks is how my brain works. They spent the past 30 years telling me to stop living in a fantasy, but looking at their reality, I really don't want any part of it. I'm sorry, that's miserable. Anyway, I'm going to look at the other laws real quick and then circle back to this one, because I think it's the one that underpins the others the most. So perpetual transmutation of energy and cause and effect are legit physics concepts. But we can take them metaphorically and still all agree that things are perpetually in motion, especially in a hyper-connected global society. And the cause and effect one is more on the theme of how our thoughts affect our reality. They would take it more deeply by saying our self-concept does. Compensation is the idea that you reap what you sow, which is fairly uncomplicated, even though anyone who has given a lot to a narcissist only to get abuse in return will tell you that it's not that simple. The law of relativity states that everything is relative because we all perceive reality in our own way, which is true. Even families perceive their shared history in different ways. The law of polarity states that everything in life has an opposite. For every problem, there's a solution. For every obstacle, there's an opportunity. And it's easy to slide into the idea that for every good thing, there's a bad thing waiting to happen and leave life waiting for the other shoe to drop, though. And I guess in that respect, it's good that we all fall of the laws together because a few of them force you to take the positive view on this one. And then the cycles are a natural part of the universe, which if you listen to a podcast about cosmic witchcraft, you already accept this truth. Unless you love my Genki anime voice and bilingual brain and unplaceable accent, or have a secret crush on me, and that's why you listen to this podcast. Lastly, that life works best when your divine masculine and divine feminine energies are in alignment. Personally, I think this is true. Although I take the divine part to mean universal and idealized abstract concept rather than divine in the sense of pertaining to a deity. If you've listened to this podcast before, you may have listened to any of the episodes about deities I've done. So you know that I'm in fact actively pagan and that I have a specific pantheon I connect with, even though philosophically I am agnostic. I don't care if the shift in energy that I perceive in ritual is an illusion of my mind, because these deities exist as archetypes with specific characteristics and stories, and that's good enough for me. And even if I do occasionally use a specific prayer to Hades, that honors them in the Pluton archetype of the giver of riches, 
I don't play in the way I was taught in Catholicism as a request with expectation to receive from him. Aside from the fact that the prayer itself also has a more of a flavour of recognising the general abundance of the world that is his domain as Lord of the underworld and the earth that contains it. But that's not the point. Still a different energy than putting in a request, which is also what is advised in manifestation, that you can pray to the universe putting in a request for the things that you want the universe to give back to you. And I guess that's the thing that makes me uncomfortable because of the residual influence of Catholicism. It's true that in manifestation you are a creator rather than a passive recipient, and that your desires are allowed and not selfish. But if you are still required to trust in something that at the very least is perceived as being outside of yourself, and all the things are not yet in your experiential reality, that's an awful lot to ask of someone unless they have that in the beliefs already. Among the many articles and podcasts discussing the manifestation, I have found a lone voice, that of Dr. Anna Crest, who wrote a blog post titled Easier Approach to Manifesting Trauma Informed. She's a clinical psychologist with over 20 years of experience and did her dissertation research on spirituality and reproductive trauma, which I believe is the technical term for infertility. In the post, she lists a number of issues, including how trauma can impact our nervous system and keep us stuck in survival mode, impact our ability to be optimistic and hopeful, and affect our self-worth and our ability to receive what we desire. The only way to empower ourselves is to heal ourselves from all the things that are disempowering. Basically, the title is a rhetorical question for most of the spirituality space, that maybe to be magnetic, since their method is big on self-worth and healing our inner child, and they have an EMDR specialist, uh, therapist consulting. And a couple of people I know that trained in RTT recently, and a guest on it, Gabby Bernstein, has been really open about her therapy journey, but as much as I like her, I think a lot of her earlier work had those pitfalls. So it's more of a recent thing that she's talking about IFS therapy a lot. She picked up existential kinks, you know, that the method is discovered for trauma. And in fact, Dr. Carolyn has recently hosted a live webinar to showcase a healing modality, so she gets a pass mark. And of course, the people I have as guests on this podcast, the first I invite them is their pass mark. But off the top of my head, that's about it. Everyone else is merrily going around writing articles and recording podcasts, telling people that they just need to trust that the things they want are on the way and live life as if they are already there. And don't get me wrong, the last bit of that advice is gospel truth to me. It's about not attaching our self-worth to whether we have that thing that we want to pull in. And I had a really hard time lately not being dragged down into negativity, to the point I refer myself to for therapy again. But fundamentally, mine is a patient problem, not a self-worth one. And maybe you can argue I've had patience if I truly believe that was worthy of what I want. But the thing is, the problem is not that I don't believe I'm worthy of receiving it. The problem is I have a hard time trusting that it's on the way. And that's simply to do with the specific trauma of my marriage and how I had at one time believed that it was God's will for me to marry this person. And arguably, it could have been God's will for me to go through this trauma so I could come out on the other side as this new version of me that's talking to you. But it was a painful experience. So I dare say it's understandable if I'm here waiting with anxiety to find out if the oysters that serve me have gone off. It's not that I don't believe I deserve fresh oysters. I don't trust that the world has them to serve. 
Some might say that fundamentally that betrays a lack of worthiness because of course if I truly believed that I was worthy, I would not believe that spoiled oysters are even a thing. And that's when I think the law of assumption borders on delusional. We all have experiences that, fair enough, we may have enjoyed in a thousand way that we need to heal, but they were real and negative, and they keep us stuck in trauma responses that make it hard to expect that in a world where both good and bad exist, you will get the good, even if you know you deserve the good and don't deserve the bad. It fundamentally disempowers you and makes you a victim of the negative circumstances. The problem with this trauma response is that it keeps us attached to the outcome of, out of fear. We try to peek in the kitchen to see if the waiter is coming out with the platter or the news of item missing instead of sitting back, paying attention to our dinner companions while getting started with the champagne. And when we are attached to the outcome, we don't manifest. We focus too much on one specific way things can play out, coming at it from a place of lack. We live for abundance when it feels safe to let go and stop worrying about if, how and when things will come. Not because we somehow mastered this delusive trust in the universe, but because we are healed and we can shift our attention away from this thing that we want, because it doesn't matter to our sense of safety and worth and the way that we see ourselves, which is the self-concept I mentioned earlier. It stops being the need of when you are losing blood after a car accident and need a transfusion to survive, and it becomes the joking dramatic need of an IG hashtag when you see a real of villain Balik and share it on story. And even then I guess there are ways in which the villa can become the low frequency need. Going back to my infamous manifestation of the trip or move to Japan, it started as a sort of soul calling like others have had in the past, like a deep obsessive and illogical inner knowing that I'm meant to be there. Even if it doesn't make sense, because while I may gain plenty to feed my acroc obsession, I'm also going to be a foreign single woman in a fairly anti-immigrant country, with the language skills of a toddler, and half away across the world from my family. Rationally, it's the worst possible idea I've ever had, and I've had plenty of bad ideas. Then, as things got really bad with my ex, as his mental health deteriorated and the abuse got worse, he became my lighthouse, the dream I was holding on to. I wanted to escape my situation and I wanted to do it more in a more dramatic and fulfilling fashion than council accommodation in South London. So instead of being open about the ways in which my circumstances could improve and lead me to safety, I became attached to that outcome. And one of the last few things he said to me was that I was delusional about ever having the money to do it. Should have been my best chart take fire with the power of revenge. Solo that's called pure energy. She's also a problem because that created an attachment I had to release and a proving energy that is the opposite of the energy I want to have around this manifestation or anything in life. However, when I did my future envisioning meditation during the solstice event with holisticism, I was in Japan and my body relaxed. Even if all I was doing was visiting Okita's tomb on the dates open to the public. And my body is very rarely relaxed in meditation or otherwise. I've always had to consciously unclench and remember to breathe. So it doesn't matter what my ex thinks or what others think, or the fact that I now told every single one of you that I have this plan, and you might judge me for it if I never get to realise it. In a way, that's the very reason I'm telling you, because I would be hiding it out of fear of the consequences of not getting it. She's like, I'm counting myself out before even trying, so yeah, I'm putting it out there. 
because I'm not willing to accept a future where I will not go to Japan. And what is that? I want an invitation to the premiere of Ice Adolescence when it eventually comes out. I can picture Eddie, you and I's fans in the audience going, girl, you have truly gone wool lately if you think Ice Adolescence will ever see the light. And I guess maybe, who cares? That's not the point. When they this podcast, if it's still going on, we come to you from Tokyo. Whether it's one episode on a short holiday, or I have reinvented myself as one of the many expert content creators on the internet. I recently found out that the capital required for a business visa isn't that much, so who knows what the how will look like. So, I realised that this episode was somewhat inconclusive around the things that we can do to help ourselves heal from the trauma that has affected our lack of trust in things working out for us. Not so because the answer is therapy. My goal with this episode was to discuss the issues with the discourse in an open and frank way and reassure everyone that if manifestation advice is doing more harm than good for you, it's not your fault. It's because it's dismissible trauma. I'm, however, in talks with a couple of potential guests to come on to talk about shifting mindsets and healing the witch wound and stuff like that. So fingers crossed this episode is just the beginning of a deeper conversation. I'm now taking a break for the next few weeks since I've overworked myself and I also have a couple of things I need to focus on with my photography business before I take time off to properly rest. So the next episode will be on July 20th to talk about the Lionsgate portal and all of the star lore that comes with that. And you see, this is an example of me practicing what I preach. Because if it's unsafe to stop posting for two whole weeks when the messaging is that consistency is what you need to grow, and you may all forget about it and pick up 20 new podcasts in your rotation and never come back. But then again, I've seen multiple podcasts return after months or years to a loving audience. So if they could do it, so can I. Whatever my brain is trying to imply, that of course they can, but that doesn't mean I can. Gross in real time, like a reality TV show style podcast. I hope you get to enjoy a summer bit to you, and I'll talk to you in two weeks. Don't forget that if you send me a review on Apple Podcasts or the mar- like star marks in Spotify, you get a tarot reading to celebrate Pride Weekend in London, even if you listen to this later on rather than on release. Until next time, keep living in one. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna, S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, 
complete subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who'll enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time.